that's great, man. You guys are a bunch of chatty Cathy's. This is awesome. Normally on Wednesday night, I'll say that and people will talk for two seconds and then sit down. But you guys are all chatting it up. That's great, man. I love that. It's really important that you get to know other brothers and uh, kind of press in on that because, um, you know, uh, the, the Bible uses this fancy Greek word koinonia, which is really just, um, you know, brotherhood, fellowshipping one with another around Christ and uh, getting to know each other and living life together and doing what we do, uh, standing alongside of each other as, as sort of a team. Uh, you know, we're all rowing the same direction, uh, all about, you know, what the Lord has for us. And so for us to do that, to kind of sync up and get to know the guys, uh, uh, that's something that's important. And it's something that goes counter to our culture, you know, as far as uh, men especially, to just sort of be the Lone Ranger. That's kind of what a lot of guys do. And that, that's the way it naturally flows. But, uh, but it's worthwhile to, to press in and to get to know other brothers. Um, I want to, um, before, I'm going to turn it over here in a minute to, um, or a few minutes, uh, to Tom. And um, um, I'm excited to hear what he's got to share. And, um, and some of the guys we have here are some of the some of, some of my favorite dudes in the church, and it's just going to be a blast, I think. But um, but one of the things I want to remind us what we're doing here, you know, Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. We we call this ironworks because, uh, you know, it reminds us as iron sharpeneth iron, so a, a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend, and um, that's what we want to do is uh, as a, a bunch of guys sharpen each other, and um, and you know, doing that can be pretty important, but it also can be neglected in the church. And um, so I've been really thrilled. You know, I, I couldn't believe it. I was looking back and realizing we've been doing these Ironworks sessions now for just over three years. Uh, it seems like it just started a couple weeks ago to me. Uh, time goes by so fast. But, you know, um, uh, the thing about iron sharpening iron, sometimes sparks fly. <laughs> and sometimes those rough edges are knocked off. And, and that's kind of what we oftentimes want to do. And and one of the very first sessions that we uh, got together, I, I, I was talking about something that really hopefully is an overarching theme of everything we're doing here uh, in Ironworks. And it has to do with, um, you know, our priorities. And um, many of us were taught, well, you know, it's, it's God, family, and country. And I want to suggest once again and remind us that that's totally wrong. Um, that's a wrong way to put it. Um, because uh, um, what we just did by saying that is we just put God on a list of things. Um, that's a good question. Does God want to be on our list? Um, that's, that's the thing I would, I would maybe make the argument. You know, um, when we think of a personal devotion to God, you know, we, we think of prayer. Like uh, James 5, 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And man, prayer is key. So people say, well, we need to make prayer a priority in our lives. Um, and then you think of, you know, the, the scriptures, the word of God, Psalm 119.9, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way uh, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Man, it's all about the word. So, okay, if you're going to make God a priority, number one, we need to be number one, prayer and the word. And, and then also worship. Um, Proverbs 3.9 says, um, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce like worshiping and giving, and that should be a priority. Um, uh, okay, so God, putting God first is prayer, worship, you know, um, and, uh, and the word, but also service. First Samuel chapter 12, verse 24, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. And so we think, okay, service, worship, word, prayer, 
we need to make that a priority because God's going to be a priority. And, and what ends up happening is as brothers, we get on this um, interesting God is my priority treadmill where we always would go around feeling guilty because who can do all that stuff and still have a job and still run a household and still, um, you know, do other things. Like as guys, um, you know, I, I think most men that say, well, God, it's God, family, and country. Most guys walk around feeling condemned because they've not made that real in their lives. God is not a priority as far as the time because they have to work at least eight hours a day. Um, uh, so if you're going to make God a priority, did you give God eight hours and then your work eight hours? Because uh, you should actually give God more than eight hours if, if you're making him a priority. And, and, and did, you, did you give God more priority even over your family? Because the family came second. Um, did you spend more time with God or with your family? See, and we've got this very um, high and mighty claim. It's God, family, and country. And I think we're looking at it all wrong. Um, and, and, it, and it echoes back to some of the things I shared first with you guys. You know, as far as um, putting God in, in, in first place in your life is actually, uh, sounds so great. It sounds correct. But I think um, that it's actually perhaps one of the biggest goofs we do in, in putting it that way. Um, this mindset uh, kind of tells us there's a division between the sacred and the secular. You know, uh, like there's something, it's your work and your, your family and then there's God. You know, and we separate it out compartmentally. Big goof, huge goof. This is probably, in, in my opinion, one of the great mistakes that, um, that we as American men make. Um, in this priority list thing that we kind of come up with. Um, you know, and, and so what, what do we do with that? Well, this is where I'd like you to turn just quickly with me to Colossians 3. Colossians chapter 3. And this is a reminder of um, how this really should sort of shake out. It's uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul the Apostle says there in Colossians 3, 3, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Again, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Christ. Um, you know, we just sang that song, you know, Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. Um, Paul um, knew that that was the, the way, That's that the Christian man doesn't make God a priority or Christ a priority. Um, Christ is your life. It's the embodiment of everything in your life. Um, you know, that's why in Philippians 1, 21, Paul said to me, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Notice that Paul's not arguing that Christ is important to him. He's just saying it's, it is everything. It's the whole enchilada. Christ is not a priority. He is it. He's the thing. Uh, from beginning to end, um, Christ is your life. He doesn't uh, find first place in Paul's life. He's the substance of everything that Paul was about. And that's what's so cool because Paul is a great example of a guy for us and um, you know, in a minute, we're going to be kind of focusing in on business. Uh, what does a Christian businessman do and look like? And how does that all work out? Well, first of all, um, uh, I need to remind uh, all of you that you all should be businessmen. 
If you're not, some of you are like, well, Brad, this is a good one. I'm sort of checking out because I'm not a businessman. Um, But you should be. I'll tell you why. Because you and I were cursed with a curse. When man sinned, we were called to work by the sweat of our brow. Um, And so we all work. Um, Or at least we should. (laughs) We should all be working. Um, and, And then when you work, you make an income, which is business. And in your life, in your own personal finances, you have profit and loss. Uh, you, you have a budget. Um, you know, you've even got your family, many of you, as a team uh, that's working with you on, on this thing we call life. And uh, whether you like it or not, we're all businessmen. Now, if you're saying, Brad, I'm not a business, well, that's probably why you're in debt right now. Uh, you need to think more like a businessman. Uh, we, you know, the idea of business, I think somehow in the church as Christians, as we seek to divide the spiritual and the secular, we've, we've actually... Um, said, well, almost like business is so secular and don't even bring it up in our spiritual context or in our lives. Um, and, and, you know, I, I have to understand that, that maybe the church were at fault for this, and I'll tell you why. Because, um, you know, uh, we talk about things like, is the church a business? And I've had to kind of, uh, there, there, I was meeting with Livio the other day, and he was like, you know, is the church a business? And, I'm, and, and I know with Livio, I have to say, yeah, because he's a, he's a smart guy. <laughs> uh, and uh, and he's he was saying, well, do you have employees? Yes. Do you have you know profit and loss? Yes. Do you do you have bills to pay? Yep. Um, it's just as churches, you know, we don't do it for the financial profit. Uh, to us, it's more about people being saved, and and it's a little harder to measure in monetary value. Um, so a lot of pastors like the church is not a business, and and I and I get that. That's kind of the right mindset spiritually, but practically, the church, you kind of have to do some good business practices or else you could be in big trouble. So yes, the church is a business on one side, but on the other, it's, it's spiritual only. So with that notion, we pastors don't always do a great job talking about business as it relates to the spiritual side of things. And I think that might be a mistake. You know, Paul was a tent maker. He had a business and, um, and do you, do you believe that Paul's business as tent making was all about, you know, making tents? Or was it even all about making money? You know, you definitely get the sense that Paul says, well, I, I'll make tents. But it was actually to serve a greater purpose, and that was to serve Christ. Because for Paul, Christ was his life. Christ was in his tent making business. And you definitely get the sense that Paul was doing that because uh, he was wanting to see the kingdom of God furthered. Well, you know, what he used the profit for his tent making, maybe it was just to pay his bills or to eat or to wear clothes, or maybe it was to raise money for the church. Like, we don't even know how successful Paul was on tent making, but it seems like he was pretty successful at just about everything he did. And I think that's largely because Paul was the guy who said, um, Christ is our life. He's not part of my life. He's not a priority in my life. Uh, I'm not putting God on some stupid list that's in my head, but God is my life. He's the whole thing. Uh, and so instead of looking at it as like, I've got God and church and family and hobbies and you know um, in my career and all this stuff, he, he didn't compartmentalize it. Everything that was compartmentalized, the overarching theme was Jesus in everything, in his tent making, his career. Um, in his preaching, his spiritual, you know, church life, but just everywhere he went, everything he did, well, Brett, I'm no Paul the Apostle. That's Paul. Why are you using him as an example? 
And well, I think Paul is just one of many examples. We could talk about all the other guys in the Bible. Um, these guys, many of them were always looking ahead. What's next? What do we need to do to further the kingdom? You know, you got Old Testament models when David became king. He was always looking, okay, what's next? I want to bless the family of Saul. Okay, bless the family of Saul. Okay, I need a capital city. Joab, let's take Jerusalem. Okay, let's take Jerusalem. Kill the Jebusites. Okay, check, check, check. Paul, I mean, David was constantly moving forward um, entrepreneur, uh, in kind of an entrepreneurial kind of way. Um, in fact, all of God's people were looking, okay, Lord, what do you have next for me? And that's kind of a business mindset. And, and I see, you know, it's, it, the older I get, the more I see we've probably wrongly separated the idea of business from the spiritual um, and maybe to our own detriment. And uh, maybe in future studies, we'll even dive uh, into, you know, uh, some, some, I mean, we could, we could really kind of dwell on this topic for a long time. Today, it's our desire just to kind of touch the topic, start on it and get it going. Um, but, but that's the thing, you know, with, with this introduction is I hope you understand, don't make the mistake of separating what you do as a businessman um, with, you know, separating it out with your spiritual life. Um, some of the greatest um, businessmen in history, as you study them, were often guys that, that made the connection that it's not business and then my spiritual life, but when they meld it all together and realize that Christ is our life, and whatsoever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Whatever you do, that's, that's work, golf, uh, you know, uh, doing family devos, whatever it is that you're doing, do it heartily as unto the Lord, Colossians 3, 23, and not unto men. So, so that's kind of the thing um, that we want to be thinking about as we touch on this issue of, of businessmen and, and what the Lord's called us to be and, and what we're called to do. Um, so what I'm going to do is uh, um, uh, it's, it's, uh, we're going to have a little question and answer time and discussion se session uh, with some guys. Um, but uh, one of the guys I'd like you guys to get to know as um, part of my team here, uh, you know, as far as our administrative executive team, uh, Tom Moore is an old school Athey Creeker. <laughs> he and his family have been uh, here at Athey Creek from almost the very beginning. Um, and uh, um, I've, I've just really learned to appreciate Tom. I've always loved Tom as just a, an amazingly cool dude. I remember doing his wedding down in Southern Oregon as probably the most groomsman I've ever seen. Uh, in any wedding. How many groomsmen did you have? Do you remember? Uh, like, like 10 or 12 guys, and then there were 10 and 12 girls. It was like this huge mob on the stage. Um, and Chris was one of those guys. Uh, um, and you'll meet Chris too in a second. But, but um, what's been so fun is watching these guys, since I've known them for so long, um, like I always have known them to be very capable. In fact, uh, Chris and Tom were our very first high school pastors uh, here at Athey Creek years and years ago. Um, I've got some videotape. I should have brought it today. Um, uh, but we won't go into all that. Um, right when I duct taped them to a flagpole. Um, and left them there and called their wives and told them where they were. That was great. Um, but um, we have a picture of that somewhere. Like somebody made that into a poster, I think, when you guys were duct, duct taped to the flagpole. Um, that was great. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, but what, what was so fun to watch over the years is, is, is how the Lord has just um, blessed these guys with sort of the business mind and knowing just how to succeed, knowing how to do well. And I've watched them do uh, stuff that, 
is just really, really cool. I, I've seen the Lord's blessing on, this, on all the work that they've done in business over the many years. Um, I've, really, I guess the last almost 20 years, I've watched uh, what the Lord has done. So, um, so when I hired Tom, uh, what you guys need to know is, you know, Athey Creek, um, our business side of things, we've shifted. We've, we've made some major shifts. The governing elders, we made a decision like a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now. Uh, it's amazing how long that time goes by. But we made some business decisions to just tighten our budget and to restructure our whole uh, way we, we were doing things. And, um, and I, uh, we were looking for a guy who could really do that for us. And, um, and I, I, knew, I knew Tom was great, but I didn't know how great. He helped us, uh, you know, put the, the, uh, the whole thing together. Uh, and, and now we've got this team of guys, several of which you're going to meet today. But um, they, they've helped us, you know, go from just constantly struggling and trying to figure out how we're going to pay for this and how we're going to do this. Um, let me, I probably shouldn't even go into all this, but I just want to say this because this is, this is kind of what Tom helped us do. We, we had a balloon payment for this building that was due in February of 2019. Um, and it was a scary balloon payment, $4.2 uh, million. Um, and uh, so we're all kind of like, okay. And a couple years ago, we were thinking, how are we going to do this? And some people were telling us, man, you got to get a bank loan so that you can pay that loan. And man, good luck trying it. We had people saying, You're, there's no way you guys are going to be able to do this. And um, But we prayed about it and we said, let's just tighten the belts and uh, and uh, we did. Like, uh, you know, there's things that some of you guys probably didn't even miss, uh, but uh, we tightened things up. Uh, only one barbecue in the summertime instead of two or three. Uh, Harvest Festival, half the budget. Um, we let a few staff go uh, to, to make it meaner and leaner, uh, which was painful. Um, but, you know, we, we, the hope was to get to that $4.2 million by February of 2019. Well, um, the, good, the good news is we reached that uh, in June of this year and paid that off. Like that, that was like, I guess done deal now, check. <laughs> um, and uh, if you're a Dave Ramsey fan, you know, you want to have a bumper uh, and the church needs a bumper. Um, and uh, we were able to save a million dollars and have it in the bank as a bumper for any emergency. You think, well, what could happen to the church? You know, when we had back in, was it 2009, we had the snow and, um, and uh, we had three weeks of snow where we had three weeks where no church services were able to happen. You guys remember that? Um, the church went broke then because the church was still functioning. We were still paying bills for our building and, and all that and staff and all that, but there was no income. Can you imagine a, a, a business that, that just kind of, you know, month to month and all of a sudden just no income for, <laughs> for uh, three, three weeks. Uh, and it was tricky. Like I was this close to having to like let go our whole staff and, um, and then, and then we were able to kind of pull together and it, it, the Lord covered it. But at, right now, you know, financially, we're as healthy as we've ever been as a church. And, and now that's why we're able to look forward and say, Lord, what are you doing th in Athe Creek? And that's why these satellite campuses we talked about last week are, are doable because we, uh, we've got this, this uh, business plan that's really working really well. And, and Tom's been a key, key guy helping us with that. So I, I wanted to brag on him a little bit. Uh, um, and, uh, and so without further ado, uh, let's give a warm welcome for Tom Moore. Come on up, buddy. Well, good to be here, you guys. It's from a strategy standpoint, I don't know that it's a really good idea to tape someone to a flagpole and then give them a microphone. Uh, 
But good to be here. Why don't we start with prayer? Lord, I do pray that you would bless today. I pray that you'd give us words from your scripture. I pray that this would be about you. I pray that you'd be glorified here at Athe and all of our lives and the things that we do. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, a little bit about me. So I, uh, like Brett said, uh, got involved at Athey in 99. We got married, my wife and I got married in 99. I met her at Oregon State. She, uh, she met me and uh, about five days later she said, Tom's the one. Tom is the one, we're going to get married. Now she was very cool about this. She didn't, you know, press on me or try to challenge me and move me in that direction. And it only took me about five years to get to that point, I was pretty quick on the draw, you know. Um, so we met. Uh, we met in '94, the week before, uh, the week before our classes started our freshman year. We got married in '99, and um, I met Brett, and we got married at Applegate, and and Brett um, met with us to to agree. Yeah, you guys should get married, and uh, we said, you know, you know, Brett, we might be coming to your your church after we get married, would you mind doing the wedding? And uh, he said, sure, absolutely. And uh, so the, the day of the wedding, he, he pulls us together and he says, hey guys, just so you know, uh, right after the wedding, I have to leave. And so literally, he pronounced us man and wife. We left, he left, walked out the door, and I didn't see him again for two weeks until we got back to the, back to the church. But it's been quite a, a journey for us. Um, Alicia and I have 12 kids. Just kidding. I like, to, I like to say that so I get the shock value out of the way first. We have eight kids. Um, so, yeah. So you get the shock and then it's okay. Um, we live in a three-bedroom house in Wilsonville. And when we moved to Wilsonville, my wife kept getting drawn back to this particular house. And I said... Gosh, this is a three-bedroom house. At the time, we had three kids. Wanted to upgrade a little bit. We needed at least four bedrooms, right? And so I, I get to um, get to the house finally, and I'm looking around, and man, there's a giant space above the garage. Man, there's a lot of space above the garage. So I climb up in there, and and ended up bringing a, a contractor out, and they took a look at it and said, "Yeah, sure, we can build this out into a bonus room for you guys." So. We've got our eight kids, three of them are in that bonus room. I've got my oldest boy and my two youngest, well, almost the two youngest boys. We've got two girls in one bedroom, two girls in another bedroom, and one of the baby, the babies in our closet right now. So lucky for him, he's probably gonna have some issues as we're uh, getting older. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit about me. Today I wanna talk a little bit about Bible and, the biz- and, and business and, and how those two things go together. The topic is vast. There's no way that we can really do it justice here. So I want to touch on a few things. I've got three main things that I want to talk about. We're just going to introduce um, the first two, and I want to camp out on the last one for a little bit. Then I'm going to bring the guys up, and we're going to do a little bit of a Q&A session. So um, what do we want to talk about? We want to talk about decision-making. Might be one way you could title it, raw output, you know, just production, producing a lot of work. And lastly, I want to talk about our brand, our brand. So before we do, um, 
I, I ran across this this week. I thought this was interesting. Of the 132 public appearances in the New Testament, 122 of those were in the marketplace. That's interesting. Of the 52 parables Jesus told, 45 had a workplace context. Jesus spent more than 50% of his life as a carpenter until the age of 30 before he started his public ministry. And he called 12 disciples. Each of those 12 disciples were from the work context. So I think that business is an important subject. Work, commerce, is an important subject. And it's all throughout the Bible. So let me tell you a little bit about my work history. I got married to Alicia, moved to Portland in 99. I started working at Xerox, started working there with my dad, actually was there for about a year and a half, two years, and then I moved to a company in Hillsborough called FEI Company. Uh, if Jonah's here, Jonah works for FEI or Thermal Fisher now. I was um, a manufacturing engineer there. I, I was also an automation engineer, automating certain equipment. Um, spent some time as a production manager. Moved from there over to Intel uh, with Steve. Steve's gonna be coming up here in a bit. Um, I wanted to get back to my software roots, so I actually was a computer engineer, uh, a graduate from Oregon State, wanted to get back to my software roots, so I moved over to Intel so I could write software. Ended up linking up with Steve, and we talked a lot about business principles and how do they apply and you know, doing some brainstorming. Meanwhile, while I was there, a good friend of mine, Chris, was at Enterprise Rent-A-Car, which was, at, at the time, a very interesting environment, kind of a harsh environment to be a believer in. And so he and I talked a ton about business principles. Wanted to um, go somewhere where I felt like I had a little more impact. So I went to a small company, 35-person company called Wellsource. And about a year later, um, actually brought Chris over to Wellsource, and he and I separated the, the organization into two halves and I oversaw the product half and he oversaw the sales and marketing half and it was fun. We had a great time. Um, from there, I felt the Lord kind of stirring my heart. You know when the Lord moves you, sometimes he starts shaking your tree a little bit and wrestling the tree and, you, and you're trying to figure out, Lord, what should I be doing here? Where should I be going? I feel like I'm getting jostled around a little bit. And I was in that mode for about a year and uh, every time I'd come to church, every time I'd open my Bible, every time I'd turn on the radio, the message to me was consistent. Stick it out. Persevere. Don't stop. Keep going. And I remember uh, the day that I stepped foot in here. I think it was in December. Uh, and that whole message changed. And it was one of peace and release and kind of a completion type thing. And I said, Lord, I think... I think you might be moving me out of WellSource, but I'm not entirely sure where you might be moving me to. And so I, I huddled the, the family together in my living room. And uh, dads, I would encourage you guys, if you're going through something with you and, and your wife, sometimes it's appropriate for you guys to struggle with those things just together between the two of you. But sometimes it's important for you to pull the family together and say, you know what, guys, this is what we are going through as a family. And I felt like this was one of those times. So I pulled the family together and I said, hey, um, I think the Lord might be moving me on from Wellsource. And, um, but I'm not entirely sure where. So we pulled everybody together and, and we prayed and um, 
my oldest daughter prayed and my, my son Kyle prayed and, and Callan prayed and then it came to Lindsay and uh, Lindsay started to open her mouth and I kind of glanced at my wife and she looked at me and you, something you got to know about Lindsay is, is she doesn't talk a whole lot. Um, if you put her on stage here, she'd be just totally uh, what, what my wife and I would call blue screen. You know, she goes, I pick on windows a little bit, you know, she'd go blue screen on you. You wouldn't get any expression, no emotion, no nothing. Now, she's talkative and, and playful and, and noisy and all that good stuff. But, you know, sometimes when you get into a serious situation, she just clams up. But she was there and she said, Lord, help daddy to get to where he needs to go quickly. And I looked at Alicia and you know, I got choked up and it was, it was just very clear the Lord was, was doing something. And so he moved me on. And so I gave notice at WellSource, um, not really knowing where I was going next. Uh, and I don't normally recommend that to guys. If you're <laughs> making a transition, you should probably know. But there's a couple times, maybe one, maybe two times in life, the Lord might ask you to move and step when you don't really know what the next step is, like he did with Abraham. Abraham, I want you to go, but I'm not really going to tell you where you're going, but I need you to go. I need you to move. And so I gave notice at WellSource, and I started looking for some contracting jobs, landed a few here and there. Um, and then I got a call from a Chicago number on my cell phone. You know, Siri says it's from Chicago. Voicemail, click. So I listened to the voicemail later, and it turns out it was from a guy here in the fellowship. Hey, Tom, I was given your number. Uh, I've got this concept. Um, I'm thinking about starting a business. If that's your cup of tea, call me. If not, no big deal, and maybe I'll see you at church sometime. Is that my cup of tea? Uh, for those of you that know me, that, like, really, really revs me up. And so I called Kevin back, and, and we... we uh, connected and he told me about this idea and and a few months later we started a we started a business um and it was about that time that that brett got in touch with me um i guess it's been a year and a half or so and said hey tom jeff's retiring uh how would you feel about coming on the staff part-time and it's like Boy, we're trying to start this business and athe and so I talked to Kevin about it, and we said, sure, let's, let's give it a go. So I'm on staff now and doing uh, this, this uh, startup on the side. So we've got, you know, a foot in one canoe on one day and a different canoe in the other day, and we're trying to keep it all going. So anyway, that's a little bit about me. That's how I came to uh, be at Athey, a little bit about um, my background professionally. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Proverbs. We're going to hang out in Proverbs quite a bit because there's so much in here. Proverbs chapter 24. <clears throat> We're just going to introduce this idea, and then we'll talk about some application when we get the guys up here in a minute. Proverbs 24, in verse 3, it says, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. There's three things in this verse that are introduced, three ideas. 
this idea of knowledge, this idea of understanding, and an idea of wisdom. And what I'd like to suggest to you guys today is that this, um, this verse is painting more than just distinct and individual ideas, but perhaps this is actually a progression. And when we are approaching a certain situation, we should consider the progression. First, on the one hand, you have the knowledge, the data, the information, the bits, the individual Lego blocks, if you will. Um, in the understanding bucket, you have the information, and now you can start to kind of group things together. You got all the blue Legos, you got all the big Legos. You can relate certain Legos to each other. This one goes on top, this one goes underneath. But then and over here in the wisdom bucket, <clears throat> you can start applying the knowledge and the understanding that you have from these first two stages. And something that I want to suggest to you guys is that this progression that the Lord uh, outlines in Scripture is something that can be very, very applicable in a business setting. It can be very applicable to you in your workplace, to you as a manager, to you as an employee. Um, I can recall one particular time, you know, sometimes you get in a situation where you don't know what you don't know. Uh, perhaps you walked into that room and, and the, the, you, the, the conversation is going on. Intel is horrible at this, by the way. Uh, any Intel folks in here? Okay, there's a, there's a few of you. You walk into Intel on your first day and you can enter into a, a, a meeting, an hour-long meeting, and you know they're talking English, right? They're saying things and you understand the syllables and the words, but you have no idea what the meaning is. They have acronyms for acronyms at Intel. Uh, and so you can talk about code names like Paxville and, and DDR3 and, and all of these things, ARs and IMBOs, and there's just all this whole vernacular at Intel. You have no idea what's going on. And so sometimes you can find yourself in a situation where you don't know what you don't know. Um, and uh, a funny example of this that happened to me the other day, um, this was probably a year ago. Uh, I was, you know, doing the, the, the husbandly thing to do, and I my, got my, my wife, we're going to go out on a date, we're going to hook up, and so we, we, we headed out to Starbucks, and I was, I was feeling pretty good about myself, and uh, I, you know, opened the door for her, get her out of the car, I'm trying to be all chivalrous, and I'm feeling pretty good, and uh, so we walk up to Starbucks, and as I'm, as I'm walking up to Starbucks, I notice that there's a coffee cup, an empty coffee cup on the ground. So, you know, I bend over, pick up the coffee cup. I'm feeling pretty manly. And, and I go to open the door for her, because, again, I'm trying to be chivalrous. And I go and I, I grab the door handle like this, and, I, and I'm getting ready to open the door. And as I'm doing that, out of the, out of the left side over here, I hear, hey, Tom. And at this moment, my brain completely disconnects from my body. And I have absolutely no idea what happens next. But I grab the door handle like this, and I kind of step out of the way, and I turn over here, and I take the coffee cup and throw it inside the Starbucks store and step aside, right? <clears throat> Meanwhile, my wife, who is behind me, 
I've stepped out of the way and she is now face to face with a gal coming out of Starbucks and the gal is looking at her and this coffee cup bouncing around the floor now and she says, okay. And so Alicia, who's seven months pregnant, is kind of stumbling around trying to get this coffee cup and put it in the trash and I have absolutely no idea that any of this has happened. And I go over, it turns out it was Rick Anderson over there, and I, and I step over and I tar- start talking to him, and before I know it, I turn and I introduce my wife. I didn't even realize she was gone, and I said, hey, Rick, this is my wife. Hi, Naomi, you know, and we're introducing each other. And I had no idea that this whole thing had happened. And sometimes you can find yourself in a situation where you don't know what you don't know. Such is the case oftentimes when you step into work for the first time. Such is the case when you step into a new business deal or you start interacting with a new vendor. And sometimes there's things that you, you just, you have no idea. And so it's worth considering when you're in that situation, what do you do? You have to walk through the process. You have to walk through the various stages of what the Lord defines here. First, you have knowledge. If you don't know what you don't know, you've got to spend time figuring out what you don't know. You've got to spend time understanding the vernacular, understanding what in the world do these acronyms mean when I'm at Intel. Once you go through that stage, then you can start to put pieces together and you can start to understand things. You start to make sense of whatever the topic is And then ultimately over here, the goal is to make decisions, make good decisions, be wise. And it's something that I believe that the Lord has established. And if you try to circumvent that process, if you try to jump over and uh, jump right to the understanding phase or or right to the the wisdom phase, inevitably what's going to happen? You're going to start making poor choices, bad decisions. So as you approach your work, think about that. Um, we got another one, another verse that's similar. We're going to back up a little bit. Proverbs chapter 9. <clears throat> Starting in verse 10. Of course, you guys know this verse. It's a, it's a famous verse from Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So again, we have those three elements Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, but it introduces another concept here, which is the fear of the Lord. And the the idea here is this is the beginning place that gives context to this whole process over here. If you're looking at the data of creation, the data that the evolutionists would look at, we're all looking at the same data, by the way, but we're starting from a different context We're starting from the fear of the Lord or perhaps the worship of the Lord and the worship of man's intellect. One of those leads you to very different conclusions looking at the same data as you're going through that process. So the way that you have the best results as you go through that process, you got to start with the fear of the Lord. You start with the fear of the Lord, walk through the process. The Lord says that you'll have wisdom coming out the other side. All right, let's switch topics for a minute. Um, Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, Ecclesiastes, while you're turning there, is one of those books like Job. Um, 
you got to be a little careful drawing all of your theology from the book of Job because Job's friends, you know, they talk, 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 and much of what they say is not true. In the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon is writing and he's going through a lot of emotional ups and downs and ins and outs as he's writing this book. So you do have to be a little careful about some of the truths that you pull out. But in this case, I find this one to be extremely applicable to business. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. A little side note, have you ever memorized a verse and realized that you memorized it incorrectly, like a decade later? This is one of those verses for me. And so I've been quoting this verse, at least in my mind, and in my mind it says, two are better than one for there is a great return on their labor. And that's a good idea. It's not quite accurate. It says a good return for their labor. So when we moved into Wilsonville, I told you already that we built a bonus room above our garage. When we did that, for those of you that remember a guy named Brent Wright, who is now a pastor at um, Warm Springs Christian Fellowship, uh, he, was a, he was a contractor at the time doing some remodeling. So I bought, brought Brent out and uh, he did the remodeling for us. And at the time, he had just hired someone. Uh, it, was a, it was a decision that he and his wife wrestled with. Do we bring someone on? You know, we're a small business. What do we do? And, and I had been pondering on this verse as it related to my job at Intel. And, and, and so I said, well, how's it going? I think the guy's name was Dave. I, I can't quite remember. How's it going with Dave? And Brent said, you know, I don't. I don't really understand it. I'm not quite sure how the math works out, but at the end of the month, there's, there's just a little more money and a little more time. And I thought, oh, that's awesome, Brent. Let me show you what I was just reading in the book of Ecclesiastes, because the Lord says that two are better than one, for there's a good reward for their labor. And I think that in business, especially in corporate America, we have a tendency to try to go alone. In, in America, as guys, there's this culture of individualism. There's this culture of, of I've got to do it by myself. And I think the scriptures would completely disagree with that. There's so many passages in there that talk about unity. Uh, conversely, that talk about division. Um, being together on things. This one in particular, two are better than one. And I guess what I would like to challenge us with today guys, is who are you linked up with? Who are you paired with in your business, in your work? If you're an employee, a manager, it doesn't matter. Who are you linked up with at work? Are you trying to go it alone? Is that really the best way for you to accomplish your work? Now, obviously, um, you can't have two people doing exactly the same thing at the same time. But imagine hanging um, siding. Has anybody in here ever sided a house before? That hardy plank, if you're hanging hardy plank, is heavy. And if it's just you hanging that hardy plank, uh, it's going to take you much more than twice as long to get that hardy plank on the side of the wall if it's just you than if you have just one other person, right? Makes sense. So what, what is it about your job, what is it about your work that you could apply the same principle to. When I was at Intel, uh, I worked for Steve uh, for, for many years. 
And he and I, even though I still worked for him, we linked up. And, and he would come to me and say, Tom, what do you think about this? And I would go over there and I'd say, what do you think about that? And, you know, together we were working with software development teams uh, across the globe. We had one in Israel, Bangalore, Guadalajara, Mexico, up in DuPont, California. And we were trying to wrangle all these teams together and, and make sense of it, make the process smooth and, and everything. And Steve and I spent a lot of time talking together about that subject. How do we make this work better? And uh, so I guess I would pose to you, what is it in your work that you could apply this principle to? And what's the reward that the Lord might have waiting for you that you haven't realized yet? I think there's a possibility there um, for great things. And I'm personally convinced that in America, this is one of the greatest untapped resources that we have as believers. Uh, I would love to see the businesses at Athey do really well and just flourish. And I'm personally convinced that this is one of those fundamental things. You know, uh, as it relates to starting a business, uh, if you're in business or you're thinking about starting a business, are you linked up with someone? Are you linked up with a business partner? Now, I'm not here to give you business advice, and there's certainly a lot of pitfalls that you can fall into when linking up with someone from a business partnership standpoint. However, the scriptures might indicate that it might be way better to be linked up with someone. Now, you got to make sure that you're equally yoked in that. you got to make sure that they're, you're headed the same direction and you're complementary and all of that. So I'm not telling you to just bury all of those ideas, but do consider, should I be linked up with someone? Should I be in business with someone as a partner where we're pulling the same way? Um, all right, switching again, I want to talk about branding for a minute. Um, believe it or not, the Bible has a lot to discuss about the subject of branding. Uh, and this is probably one of my favorite topics, one of my favorite passages. I go to this over and over and over again because it's so applicable in so many ways. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, 3. It says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and men. <clears throat> Branding. There's so many brands out there that have come and go, and I looked at a list the other day. Do you guys remember the, um, uh, the pop tab? tab. Uh, Pepsi had a product called Slice. Uh, those are two brands, if you will, that have since gone away. But there's so many brands. Uh, Studebaker, the Studebaker car has come, has gone. You don't see these anymore. Uh, there's so many brands out there that are temporary, are fleeting. They come, they're there for a little bit. They slide away, never to be heard of again. And the scriptures here talk about a name. You can affect the way that your name is perceived by other people. You can affect, and this is amazing to me, the way that your name is perceived by the Lord himself. 
That is profound. Now, the Lord does see the beginning, the end, and everything in between, so he knows us. But it suggests here that we can affect the way that we're perceived by the Lord. That's profound. I kind of get it when we're talking about people. My behavior affects the way that others view me, my brand, if you will. But the Lord, that's amazing to me. Well, let's look at this for a minute. The scriptures say, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. It's talking about two ingredients. Now, these ingredients aren't necessarily diametrically opposed. It's not like you have love on this side of the teeter-totter and, and faithfulness on this side of the teeter-totter and, you know, you're kind of weighing like this. It's more like salt and sugar in a batch of cookies. You know, if you leave the, the sugar out, the cookies are going to be kind of salty. They're still cookies, but the Lord is saying here, these two ingredients need to be here. If you have these two ingredients in your life, in the way that you conduct yourself, in the way that you do your business, you're going to affect your name. Now, companies out there spend millions and millions, billions of dollars trying to affect their name. Advertising, Super Bowl commercials, right? And I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't do that. But at the end of the day, the question that I ask is, is there substance behind the advertisement? If the advertisement is simply there to try and affect a temporary or momentary thing, and there's no substance behind it, it's going to fall flat on its face eventually. But the scripture here is dealing with the core issue, love and faithfulness. Let's look at that for a minute. If I were to look at the, the concept of love and I were to translate that into the business world, I might say something like caring for people, preferring others above yourself. I might talk about customer service, you know, that whole idea that customer service or the customer is always right and really um, uh, wanting to serve the customer. That might be the idea that I would come up with for this term love. Faithfulness, however, faithfulness is all about uh, what you do. It's about your production. It's about doing what you say you're going to do after you've said what you're going to do. Hey, I'm going to do this, and then you actually do that. It's about quality, you know, doing it right the first time. This idea of, uh, of faithfulness, and the scripture says you've got to have love and faithfulness. If you have those, those two ingredients, then your name will be a good name. It will be improved. People will look at you better. What if you just had one of those ingredients? What if it was just all about love and not about faithfulness? If the verse in your mind, and by the way, we all have a certain proclivity in here, perhaps you identify more with the love side of the equation than the faithfulness side of the equation. So if, in, if you're sitting here and this verse reads in your mind, let love and faithfulness never leave you, bind it around your neck, write it on the tablet of your heart, what might the downfalls be of being one-sided or having that singular ingredient as you're doing your, your business? Well, if you're all about love but you're not about the faithfulness part, what is your organization going to look like? You're going to have a good time. Your employees are going to enjoy themselves. Perhaps you have a ping pong table in the office or, or what have you. Um, but you're going to struggle delivering what you say you're going to deliver. Uh, you might have a sales team that is all about 
um, making promises. It's all about, yeah, our service, we do this, we do that, our product, yes, it does those things, but they're not the ones cashing the check. Your, your, your product team is over there struggling to actually do what your sales team is selling. So you're going to have this, this problem uh, eventually because you're not going to be delivering. On the other hand, if the verse reads to you, you're sitting in here, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind it around your neck. If that's your natural proclivity is, is towards the faithfulness side of that coin, then then your organization is going to look very different. It's going to be all about, all right, guys, we got these quotas to meet. We've got this to produce. We've got to get this out there. I know that your aunt died last week, but I don't really care about that. We've got to get this job done, right? And there's a liability associated with that. Your organization eventually is going to suffer, and eventually it's going to affect your customers and the people that you're trying to serve. The scripture says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Now, there's an interesting thing there. The scripture says, let them never leave you. And the implication is, love and faithfulness can leave you. Now, I don't necessarily think it's love and faithfulness leave you. I think it's our own sin nature that's kind of forgetting about these these two ideas. But they can leave you. You can start out on the right foot. You can start out with a love and a faithfulness. And you can start out, you know, down this road with your organization. And something can happen down the road. And you can forget about one of these things. So watch out. You might be doing good today. But tomorrow they can slip through your fingers. And then it goes on and it gives you the answer of what to do with this this love and faithfulness that want to leave you. And it says, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. What does that mean? You know, if you look at putting a necklace around your neck or a scarf, the thing that I notice about that is that it's visible. It's visible. So how is love and faithfulness visible in your organization, at your work? If you're an employer, an employee, doesn't matter. How is love and faithfulness visible is it something you talk about? Is it, you know, they, they put the posters on the walls. This always used to crack me up about the, you know, the corporate values that they come up with. And I always thought, this is just lip service, right? Or is it? Are those things visible? Are they prominent in the organization? And then the next thing it says is write them on the tablet of your heart. And I, I hear that. Let's drive this in to the DNA of our organization. Love and faithfulness. How does this look? So many different contexts. Let's say you're a manager and you have an employee and you make an observation that this particular employee is not getting along with someone in another department. You can say, hey, I've, I've noticed that, that you're, you're having some conflict there. Which side of the equation are they breaking right there? It's the love side. Now, you might not use that term because in corporate America, we've that the term love's gotten weird, right? I say, hey, maybe, why are you having this tension? It seems like you're not caring for your colleague over here. What's, what's going on? Let's talk about that. We're driving it into the organization. Hey, so-and-so, I noticed that you missed a deadline over here. Uh, we, we were all counting on this. What happened? You're driving it into the organization. 
maybe there's a team meeting and we're talking about these principles in the team meeting and, and, and continuing to bring it up and drive it home, writing it on the tablet of our heart. If we make it visible and we drive it in to the DNA, we write it on the tablet of your heart, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and men. That is profound to me. It's profound that we get to do that to God, but there's a key in there about business success. There's not much more important in a business setting than your brand, than your name. Arguably, the name or the brand is the most important asset that you own. If your name in a business goes south, if your name gets tainted, uh, it's, it's not long before you're out of business. Um, so this is a hugely fundamental thing as it relates to business, but also it relates, relates to us just working, working with each other. Um, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Revelation. And why don't I have the guys go ahead and come on up this time. And uh, we're going to switch into a Q&A session. <clears throat> turn to the book of Revelation. I was going through Revelation with my family um, Thursday night and I happened to be reading through the letters to the churches um, and check this out this is the first letter he's writing to Ephesus it says to the angel of the church in Ephesus write this is chapter 2 of Revelation these are the words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand and walk among the seven lampstands I know your deeds faithfulness your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, faithfulness. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false, faithfulness. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name's sake and have not grown weary. They're faithful. But I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its, uh, remove its lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. There, the church, I think it was the church in Ephesus, right? Yeah, the church in Ephesus he, he, he camps out on this idea of love and faithfulness. And he says, you guys have been faithful in all of these things over here, but you have this one thing that you've not done. You've left your first love. And what happened? He's, he's calling them out here. Their name, their brand, if you will, was tarnished um, and tainted. May that not happen to us. Um, May we not fall into the trap of letting one of those two ingredients suffer as we uh, go about our business. All right, so let's switch gears here. What I want to do is just talk to these guys uh, a little bit. I'll have each of them introduce themselves, just give them a little bit of their history. And then we've got some questions that we want to talk about how these principles get worked out practically in a business setting. So, Chris, why don't you start? 
Okay, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm Chris McReynolds, and I got roped into doing this by Tom. <laughs> uh, no, I'm happy to be here, actually. Uh, although I'm looking around the room and seeing there's several other guys that should be up here instead of me. But um, I, uh, I am the CEO of a health technology company in Tualatin called Wellsource, the place that he left me high and dry for. <laughs> <laughs> Drew? Yeah. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, my name's Drew Corrigan, and I've um, been here at Athey for about 15 years or so uh, with my family. I've got three kiddos. And uh, from a work standpoint, I'm in a, I've actually never had a real job. I went straight from college to a big accounting firm, and I've never actually been in a business. I've always been looking at other businesses. So I uh, run a healthcare practice in one of the big accounting firms uh, and lead that for the Pacific Northwest, and I've done that for a little over 25 years. And Fun to be up here with you guys. Steve? Uh, Steve Hockemeyer. Um, worked through defense avionics type work in Albuquerque. Moved up here doing Intel. Been there for about 21 years doing all kinds of different jobs. Um, going from software engineering to management, tech lead, things like that. And uh, another person that uh, Tom left high and dry. <laughs> There's, <laughs> There's a, a pattern theme here. <laughs> Watch out, Brett. <laughs> it's coming for you soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, Chris, can you talk about this principle of love and faithfulness, and uh, it could be enterprise or well-sourced, how does that principle get worked out practically in the workplace? Yeah, so one of the things that I've come to learn in, in my career is that there, in any business, there are four main areas that you better have nailed down or a plan for uh, if you're going to be successful. One of them is customer service. How do you treat your customers? Another one is employee development or retention. You know, how are you, how are you caring for your employees? Um, growth for the business and then profitability. If you think about those four things, uh, two of them are very love-centric, how do you treat your customers and your employees, and two of them are more faithfulness-centric, your growth and your profitability. And I have found that if you have one or the other, but you don't have both, uh, things get pretty lopsided pretty quickly, and eventually you are going to run into a major problem in your business potentially uh, driving you out of business. Tom made reference to earlier, I, I spent 10 years of my career learning everything there was to learn about business uh, at Enterprise and um, got measured closely on those four areas. In fact, if you wanted to get promoted in that organization, you had to have your performance in those four areas at or above the average for the rest of the, the state, otherwise you couldn't be considered for a promotion. And it taught me pretty quickly the importance of addressing all four of those things. And we could talk about specifics, uh, how you deal, let's say in the area of employee development. What does love and faithfulness look like in the context of working with another employee? I've been in managerial roles for the majority of my career. And um, you kind of tend to find in the world of management, 
one or the other, right? You've got the guy who could care less about your problems or what you're bringing to the table on this particular morning. Check that stuff at the door, and I expect to get a full eight hours of work out of you. Um, and hey, that's, you know, in some ways that's reasonable. Uh, but the reality is we're whole people. You know, we bring our entire selves to the workplace. And if you are a manager and are ignoring those sides of your employees, you're leaving the love thing out of the equation. On the other hand, you've got the, the people who, it's all sunshine and roses, man. And, and you, you never deal with the core issues that are holding a particular employee of yours back from being more successful. And you as the manager have to be willing to be faithful and address real issues with your people to help them improve, to help them grow, to help them stretch. But both of those things need to be present in, in your leadership. You've got to have the love because your employees could care less. You know, the old adage, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Um, but then using that foundation of trust that's built to address, hey, let's talk about this area that I think you could improve in. Drew, what about you at KPMG and the, the, the whole idea of knowledge, understanding, wisdom, that progression? How do you see that playing itself out at, at KPMG? Yeah, when, when Tom told me to think about that one, this is a tough one because I think of wisdom and I don't often think of myself in that same sentence because, uh, you know, you guys know life has got its challenges and the bumps and bruises we all experience through it. And I was thinking about, well, what has made things go as well as they have at KPMG? And it really, for me, hadn't much to do with... Um, uh, kind of the stuff I've learned, like, you know, it's the technical stuff that you learn kind of in training and stuff like that. But if you dial way back, going to high school, going to college, you know, and thinking about a progression, you know, that's where you kind of start getting, uh, you know, some of your knowledge, you're taking all these classes, getting the head knowledge and kind of seeing how this might play out, um, you know, what I need to do to be able to have a job someday. And then I thought, okay, after that, people think about getting internships or getting experiences. And one thing that, that I did that people who, uh, you know, Nomi might be a little bit surprised. I was a really shy kid. I didn't know, you know, too much other than I thought I wanted to be in business, but I didn't know how it was going to work. And after my freshman year of college, uh, there's this cool Christian guy that I got to know at Pacific Lutheran where I went to school. And he took a couple of guys uh, back east and we got trained on how to basically go do door-to-door salespeople and sell books. And um, it was, the, my parents thought it was crazy. You're one of those. They thought huh? this kid is going down. Um, <laughs> But, you know, my dad was the most gregarious salesman of all time. I thought, well, I got to figure out how to do something here. So I went and did that. And, you know, it was a six days a week, you know, hit your first door at 8 a.m. And you went, left your last house at uh, 9.30 p.m. on a Saturday night. And I'd never worked so hard in my life. And I, and I you know, you, you get doors slammed in your face. You got all of what these ladies say, what are you doing? And, but, you know, it helped me pay for school. I, I learned something about that just kind of from the, uh, the understanding of some of the things that you know, I was learning in class, going out and actually doing it, but um, the main kind of wisdom piece of it that it got, that I've used my whole life, it had nothing to do with selling books, because I, I have sales aspects of what I do, but it's very different now, um, but is the importance of just knowing 
you got you got to bring your A game every day. You got to work really hard. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to get knocked down every every way you, you turn. But um, in business, you you got to let it rush off you and and actually. Um, you know, just be ready to go the next day, and and knowing that the Lord's with you, and He can take you through stuff, and He's not going to give any, give you anything you can't handle. But it's a super simple kind of process. I may hang out with a bunch of people where I work now. There are these smarty pants, technical people, and stuff like that. But the people that do the best are the people that get beat down and know how to get back up the next day because you know business is tough. I mean, you talk about brands. I used to work at I'm at KPMG now to Arthur Anderson for nine or ten years, and you guys heard of Enron. Uh, you know, once that thing went down, one of the strongest financial institutions in, in this country was toast. I mean, the brand was gone. And so, but, you know, we, we had to figure out how to get back up the next day and go, like, you know, the next deal. Um, so, anyhow, that's one, one uh, element of that. Steve, what about you at Intel and that whole idea of two are better than one? Um, well, there's, there's a couple aspects there. One is, um, you know, I'm in the sea of cubicles, and so there's yep. thousands of cubicles on all these different campuses, and, um, you know, we get a lot of um, interesting uh, mandates to push down on us from above on, on what we can do and not do, and you know, there's diversity and things like that that we have to celebrate. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's really important to have uh, a believer with you, around you. Um, ever since I've been at Intel, I've always had somebody, uh, a believer, around where we'd go into the cubicle and write scripture on the board or discuss, you know, in Daniel, the, the man with all the different parts and pieces and where they came from and our, our ideas of the rapture and things like that. So people would walk by and see the scripture on there and see what's that about. And um, it gave us opportunities to, to speak the, the word. But um, more so it was about... Um, uh, having that, that connection with a person. Now, practically, there's a concept in software engineering where you want to find problems early on, so there's an idea of pair programming. Pair programming is where um, you have your programmer and maybe your validator next to you, or maybe two programmers, and you're kind of writing the, the code together. And the idea is you want to find the problem as early as possible because it's really, really expensive to fix the problem later. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine you write some software, it goes out to all your customers, they find a problem with it, all the problems, you know, all the customers have to come and get a, a, a you know, update to the software, something, it's pretty expensive. But in our Christian walk, it's the same thing. If you can pair up with someone and find the problems early, whatever that is, right, and before the problem even starts, and you're holding each other accountable and you're walking through it, you miss the problems that are expensive way later down the road, the things that can destroy your marriage, your family, or even your business. So, um, so having you know, two is better than one is a huge part of at least what's uh, made, I think, uh, Intel successful, at least the, the work that I've been doing. And, mm -hmm. and that one of the things that you had brought up earlier was, um, so I was a, a manager for Tom, and uh, a lot of times you have to have this perception that you're, you're better, um, but you have to esteem others above yourself. And so Tom had great ideas, and I could have been the manager that could have been, okay, Tom, you're going to do what I say, and if you don't do it, you're fired. I could have been that way, but... I, I wanted to hear what he had to say. Most of the time, the answers are with the employees that you're managing, and they don't really come from me. So letting him have a platform to come in and say, okay, let's talk about this stuff. What is, this, what is your idea? And we would try them out. Uh, we'd I use his words all the time. Experiment is a great word he brought into the workplace. <laughs> uh, experiment is um, it's a way that you can get things done, but it, it doesn't have to seem like it's permanent. 
So if it works, you keep it. If it doesn't work, you throw it away. I use that even to this day because of that. And it came from listening to him, showing him that he's important and he's, you know, what he brings to the table is valuable. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> so uh, love and faithfulness, um, Drew, Steve, how have you guys seen the principle of love and faithfulness at, at, at your place of work? Mm. Well, I mean, I talk about this perseverance getting back up. Um, you know, if there, in Ecclesiastes 9-11, I, I wrote this down uh, when we were kind of thinking about some of these things. It says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. Um, you know, there, there's something about um, you're going to get rewarded long term um, if you're faithful. And you're, I mean... My wife uses the term steady Eddie. I mean, I try to be a steady Eddie in, as a husband and in the workplace and things like that. And I don't do it very well, but, um, you know, the, 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 the faithfulness definitely comes. Um, but I, I think the, the, the love side of it, though, I mean, you mentioned esteeming others better. I mean, I've never had a situation where we as a team or as a company don't do better if we're putting others before ourselves. I mean, you know, you think about business and like competition and like somebody's got to win and things like that. Well, everybody is more successful, makes more money or whatever if the boats float higher, um, if, if you can raise the water level. And it's easier to do that when you're putting others first. Um, you know, the golden rule of treating others as you'd want to be treated is like, people say it, but they don't do it. Um, and if you actually, think about your customer or your client. I mean, one of the things, I, I've got this big team that works in our healthcare practice, and if they want to do really well, they need to be able to figure out what their client's problem is, put themselves in their shoes. So empathetic, being empathetic and actually doing that while using your brain and solving problems is the you know, way I kind of see those things coming together in my place. Chris, what about two or better than one your experience with that at Enterprise or WellSource or whatever? Yeah, I mean, real practical stuff, um, you know, hiring and firing. If you're going to hire somebody, you, one of the things that I believe strongly in is empowering the people that work for me, um, in, this case, in this context, the hiring manager, if you will. It needs to be their choice, but um, I believe that two are better than one when it comes to hiring. And so there needs to be two people involved in that, at least two people involved in that interview process. And, and I think you should always have that, um, whatever one level up from the hiring manager needs to maintain veto power. So they don't get to choose, you know, we're gonna hire this person over that person or whatever, that's the hiring manager's job. But that person one, one level up needs to maintain the veto power. And so that person's gotta be involved in the interview process. And whether that's a multi-stage process or whether it happens in more of a panel situation, uh, there's, there's wisdom and an abundance of counselors, right? Um, or on the firing side, you know, practically, you wanna have two people in that room if you're gonna let somebody go. Uh, that, that can protect some legal things from cropping up later, uh, wrongful termination kind of stuff. Um, but having a second person's uh, viewpoint and input into the process as well as just kind of that witness in the room as it's going down, a um, couple of practical things that I think two are better than one in business. 
So are there other principles that you guys draw from other than we've talked about today in your work that you guys feel is a, is a pretty big foundational thing that you use on a regular basis um, in, your, in your job? Yeah, the, the idea of serving, serving others, you know, servant leadership, mm -hmm. um, trying to move all the roadblocks out of the way so that the engineers can do their job. Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of taking yourself out of it, meaning um, you don't need the you don't need to go and be a credit hound, right? Try to find it. You know, I did this. Look what I did. You kind of now say, look what the team has done, and it, it actually generates a lot of loyalty and um, you know a good work ethic between the team because they want to come in and serve you, even though you're the one doing all the work to, to move things out of their way. You know, th this is maybe slightly off topic, but I think you guys all have one of these. Um, and you probably use it a lot for your work, and they're probably really helpful. You look stuff up, you call people, you email, you text and everything. Um, but, you know, dating back to some of the other Ironworks uh, things that we've talked about, uh, or that, uh, different things, that, you know, these things can get you in trouble. Um, and I guess I would just say, um, you know, by personal experience, having something like Kevin and I's on here, um, again, this is not an advertisement for them or whatever, but uh, this is a, that's a good thing. So I can think of this as being something that helps me and is part of my business thing as opposed to something, because I travel a lot. I don't want to be tempted by something that's going to mess me up, my family, my wife, my kids. And, uh, and there's another Athey Creeker, my, actually he's my lawyer, um, happens to be my buddy that keeps me accountable on this. And so I can't, like with the today's world of social media and all the things that come intersect here with business, uh, think about, um, you know, ways that, you know, this, this can be a good thing, but it can, it can mess you up too. So I just want to throw that out because that's actually something, you know, we just probably don't talk about enough. And I see, you know, dudes who are not believers at my work, you know, using these things for things that I, it's embarrassing. Um, so I just, it's just nice to, to know that we've got things that are talked about in these guy only sessions where, you know, we can kind of be real and things like that. And I've, I've just found that to be a really cool thing from an accountability standpoint to be able to think about, you know, when I'm on the road and traveling and business stuff like that going on. So I have nothing to do with today, but I want to throw <laughs> that in. Um, you know, as I was reflecting on my career and particularly the first part of my career, the Lord did just taught me a ton of stuff in those early days. I worked in a pretty godless environment. I remember um, I had a lot of early success and, and I was at an awards dinner for the top salespeople, and and I had um, a guy that was a couple rungs up on the ladder from me pull me aside at this. Uh, we were actually on the Crystal Dolphin uh, on the Willamette. And he pulled me aside and he said, "Chris, I can tell you're going to go places in this company, but let me tell you something. You are never going to get to a level three position in this company if you are not willing to take your employees out drinking." And uh, he was slobbering drunk when he told me this, actually. <laughs> but I remember thinking, challenge accepted. And, uh, and for me, there was a time, uh, right about that time, where the Lord was, um, actually, I remember Brett was talking about Daniel chapter 1. And uh, there, I, I highly encourage, especially if you're, you know, in the first five to seven years of your career out here, um, go read Daniel chapter one. Of course, it's a story that everybody's very familiar with. Um, Daniel and his buddies 
choosing not to defile themselves with the king's meat and wine, um, which is cool. And, and, you know, that was, the Lord really used that with me to say, Chris, I want you to do it this way. And don't worry about Kobach Meyer and what he's telling you or what the fact that everybody else around you is doing this. Um, you know, you do it the way that I want you to do it. Um, but the other thing that's kind of cool about Daniel 1, if you look at that from a business perspective, as I read that passage, I see Daniel as the employee, and then there's three levels of management discussed there, if you will. You've got the king or the executive level leadership represented. You've got the chief official who's kind of like mid-level management and then you've got the guard who was responsible for Daniel and his friends as sort of like the line supervisor. And it's really interesting to go look at the process that Daniel went through to get the approval to do it a different way. Uh, he was strategic in who he chose to go to and the way that unfolds. So I challenge you to check it out later. It's, uh, it's instructive. The cool thing that happened at Enterprise when Chris was going through that is uh, it, it was a very dark place to work, I would say, when you first stepped in there. But when you left, the, the entire group, like the state of Oregon, had been completely reformed, changed, and no longer that, that culture exists of, of drinking. And it was just completely different. Not that people didn't drink anymore, but the, the, the whole culture had shifted. And I think, by and large, it's because how the Lord used Chris there with the book of Daniel and, and that whole thing. Yeah, my first week as a level three manager overseeing the west side of Portland, I had two sexual harassment claims with, within my own employees. Uh, and there were just lying, cheating, and stealing going on all over the place. And um, by the end of my time there, you know, our mantra was, if you want to be great, Learn to be the servant of all. And I had people saying that. They're not even believers. They don't even know what the heck they're saying. But it's like, <laughs> this stuff actually really works, you know, even in business. Yep. Driving it into the DNA. <clears throat> well, guys, I think we're drawing close to the end here. Um, so, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, it's, it's a progression. Each of those phases are distinct. You might be in multiple of those phases in different areas of your life or different uh, areas of business. Love and faithfulness, you've got to have both ingredients to make the cookies taste good. And you get to affect your brand with those things. And two are better than one. What are the areas in your life where if you linked up with someone, two would be better than one? Is there an area of business or work or, or uh, you know, like the covenantized thing that Drew talked about? Uh, you're linking up, you're adding layers of protection. What, what is it that the Lord might be drawing your attention to now to, to link up with a, with a brother? So food for thought. Why don't we close it in prayer and then we'll be done. Lord, I pray that you'd bless these guys. I pray that you'd bless Athey, I pray that you'd bless the businesses, the, the managers, the workers, the, just the whole thing, Lord, would you pour out your blessing. And as your scriptures 
go into people? Would you affect lives and change lives? And would you save people, Lord? Would the, would the business community, would the commerce be a platform for people to speak of you and to save souls? So, Lord, do this work. Do these things in our lives. We give you the glory and the praise. Thanks for being here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.